is a lack of clear regulation inhibiting the growth of cryptocurrencies here in the United States? Jones Day partners Steve Obie and Mark Rasmussen think so. They're here to explain. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks Technology. Steve Obie and Mark Rasmussen are both Jones Day partners. Steve's in the financial institution's litigation and regulation practice, while Mark is in the business and tort litigation practice. Steve and Mark are also co-authors of a recently published Harvard Business Review article titled, How Regulation Can Help Cryptocurrencies Grow. You can find that article at hbr.org and the Jones Day website. And we have Steve and Mark here to take a slightly deeper dive into the subject today. One more note, and congratulations to you both. The National Law Journal recently recognized both Steve and Mark as trailblazers in the fintech and blockchain space. This is the first year for that category. I believe you're two of only 50 lawyers around the world recognized there. So congratulations to you both. Thank you very much, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks again for being here today. Let's just jump right in. Steve, bring us up to speed on where we are now. Who and what is regulating cryptocurrency in the United States? You know, it's a hodgepodge of a regulatory scheme at the moment, Dave, and I think that makes it very difficult for the tech community worldwide in figuring out how to interface with the U.S. Mm -hmm. So we have the SEC that regulates securities, the CFTC that regulates commodities, we have the OCC in the banking scheme, as well as the FDIC to the extent that deposits are being taken and insured. And someone that's trying to launch a crypto product that potentially touches on all areas of finance and particularly fintech really needs to be thinking about the various regulators that they're interfacing with. And what I didn't mention either, Dave, is that we have 50 states who are all active in thinking about cryptocurrencies, fintech, and blockchain. And so anybody that's getting into this area really has to have their eyes wide open about the breadth of the potential regulatory authorities that you'll be engaging with. Sounds like a lot of masters to serve, if you will. You mentioned the SEC. I'm looking at a press release dated back in June, June 4th. SEC names Valerie Zapanek, Senior Advisor for Digital Assets Innovation. The media is calling her the crypto czar. What do we know about the new senior advisor for digital assets innovation and what can we expect from her steve so valerie was formerly in the division of enforcement she has been active in the blockchain cryptocurrency community so valerie is well recognized in this space she's open for dialogue she's been engaging and she knows her stuff she has a a tech engineering background and folks that have really interfaced with her, have thought of her as a straight shooter. It's been hard with her being in the Division of Enforcement to have as open a dialogue as you would uh, like for clients to have with regulators because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the enforcement branch, it's, it's just not known as that function. Sure. So with her, you know, receiving such a good promotion to go over to Corp Fin, we've been able to encourage our clients to have you know a great dialogue with the SEC in terms of getting an understanding of how certain products could potentially be viewed by the regulator. Okay, but she's got a tightrope to walk, right? I mean, on one part, she doesn't want to stifle innovation. She's got to be friendly to 
people trying to bring new products and growing this market. But she's got to protect consumers, too. I mean, that's a tough role, isn't it? Well, it's a tough role for any regulator, right? So it's not just Valerie. It's everybody at the SEC from the commissioners on down through the staff. And so while nobody is going to get a blessing from the staff in terms of their discussions, Valerie serves as a good contact for fintech folks who are looking at understanding how the SEC regulates, what the processes are to get a better understanding of how the SEC might be your product, Mm -hmm. and to get Valerie's knowledge and pick her brain as to areas that have been stumbling blocks for the agency in the past. It'll be interesting to see how she functions in the role, and we'll be watching carefully. Let's go over to Mark for a minute. Mark, everyone's first impulse is to not embrace regulation. That's just a human thing. You know, no one likes to be told what to do. We're always worried about government overreach. But you argue in the article that the lack of clear regulations is hurting cryptocurrency growth and innovation here in the U.S. Explain that for a minute. Well, in talking with entrepreneurs in the fintech and blockchain space and and some investors as well, there's really this genuine concern about innocently running afoul of the law here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some frustration that our legal system can't provide more definite answers regarding this new technology. And there's some confusion around, you know, whether federal securities laws or Commodity Exchange Act or other laws apply to the crypto assets and blockchain technology that's being developed right now. You know, some entrepreneurs have even said, look, I'd rather go launch in another country where there is more guidance, where there is clearer regulations that have been laid down. And they're looking at you know, countries like Switzerland or even smaller countries like Gibraltar and Malta. That's not to say that innovation isn't happening here in this area, because it certainly is. And the United States still ranks near the top of the list in terms of innovation in blockchain area and ICO launches and funds raised. But I think the U.S. could do more to attract talent and encourage innovation here. And, you know, we've always been a a country that encourages entrepreneurship and innovation. And I think we'd greatly benefit from attracting more talented innovators in this space. Well, missing those opportunities is certainly troubling. Are there other risks associated with the current state of regulatory uncertainty besides just business or or innovators going elsewhere? Yeah, sure. I mean, one risk is that if we don't do enough to attract legitimate businesses and good actors by providing them more clear guidance, we might inadvertently just create this vacuum that gets filled by bad actors. If you don't have good actors developing in this area because they don't know what, what to do, bad actors might jump in, and, and we've seen a lot of that. And the SEC and state securities regulators have been quite aggressive in bringing enforcement actions, so is the CFTC, and that should and, and it certainly will continue where there's real fraud going on. But I think our, our legal system could do better to attract the good actors by giving them some clear principles and guidelines for companies to start working around. Hopefully that's coming. Go go back over to Steve for a second. Mark mentioned bad actors. One line in the HBR article you two wrote caught my attention. You wrote, at least one estimate pegs the frequency of ICO scams, that's initial coin offering scams, to be as high as 80%. That's concerning. Steve, what kind of scams are we talking about? Just typical pump and dump fraud schemes where folks say that they've raised $800 million to fund the project and in fact what they've done is they've raised money and have spent that money on their own personal 
gains. You know, they bought the house, they bought the expensive car, they gambled it away. Yeah, and the Wall Street Journal put out an article earlier this year where they had analyzed um, over a thousand coin offerings, and they found red flags in many of them. And you know, they organized them by plagiarism or guaranteed returns or even fake executive teams. You know, saying that uh, Justice Ginsburg of the Supreme Court, for example, is on someone's advisory board. You know, that kind of thing is what's going on. Another thing that's happening that I think gets a little less attention is that people uh, who are doing the ICOs may have good intentions and they put out white papers that are well thought out. But when they actually issue their coins or tokens, the code doesn't match what's being promised in the white paper. Mm-hmm. And there's been some studies comparing the code uh, of, of these tokens against what's in the white papers or other promotional documents. And the, there have been some discrepancies there. So even even people with good intentions are slipping up here, it sure. seems. And we've seen folks who probably should be registered as either broker-dealers or some other functionary operating in the space without thinking about whether they need to be registered. And so mm-hmm. I think that's an area where you'll be seeing some regulatory action. So that's a good segue to the next question uh, in, in terms of getting back to the current regulatory environment. This is for Mark. The SEC had said that whether securities laws applies to a particular cryptocurrency depends on the facts and circumstances of the offering. I guess that goes back to a 1946 Supreme Court decision, SEC versus Howey Company. Can you elaborate on the facts and circumstances element of the security, non-security determination? Sure, yeah. You know, in our legal system, it's not uncommon to use, you know, balancing tests and multi-factors. And and we use that to determine, for example, whether a court could exercise personal jurisdiction over someone. The facts and circumstances approach that the SEC articulated is, is another example where you got to lay out there all the different facts that are relevant to the offering and consider them as a whole, not just one in particular. And this Howey test recognizes that there are several factors that you have to weigh when considering whether an asset is, is a security. And you can't just rely on, on the labels, but you got to dig deeper than that. You know, the flip side of it is that it creates uncertainty around what facts and what circumstances are relevant. And, you know, there's inconsistent rulings from the courts. You have two products that look very similar and, and two courts that are reaching opposite conclusions. And that doesn't happen a lot, but it, but it certainly is out there. Uh, so it's just a flexible guideline that courts use to, to do this analysis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk about potential policy recommendations or changes for a moment. The Harvard Business Review article mentions a number of steps the SEC and Ms. Panic could take to introduce some clarity and promote innovation. Going to Steve, you wrote... Encourage the formation of a self-regulatory body to promote and enforce standards among the crypto community. How would that work? Well, we've seen already some coalescing around various industries where the industry comes forward and puts forth a code of conduct, a best practices guidance. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in the FX area. We've seen that actually try to come about here in the blockchain cryptocurrency fintech area. We've seen uh, you know, trading associations that are being announced. And I think more and more what you'll see is folks trying to get together as an industry to show that the industry itself is able to self-regulate and come up with concepts and ideas on how technology should best be operated and deployed 
And quite frankly, if people wait for the government, they'll miss an opportunity to shape the dialogue here. So it's actually in the best interest of industry and the consumers for the industry to self-regulate itself. And the SEC would encourage that, I'm sure. Yes, and I certainly believe the Congress would as well. Back to Mark. Another recommendation from the HBR article, you talk about convening an interagency working group, including representatives from the crypto community, to harmonize existing regulatory practices. This appears to be kind of a fairly standard practice for obtaining input from relevant parties and stakeholders. Is that correct? Sure, yeah. I think there's a lot to be gained from this type of collaboration. I'm a big proponent of public sector, private sector working together Mm -hmm. to find solutions to difficult challenges. It's served our country well in many different contexts, and I think a a working group here would be productive. For sure, there are are discussions going on between various agencies regarding this technology, and there's, there's informal discussions going on between the SEC and market participants. I think maybe a more formal process for that would be helpful. In this vein, I saw recently that a U.S. representative from California recently proposed some legislation that would direct the Department of Commerce to convene a working group of government and industry workers to develop an agreed-upon definition of blockchain. So, you know, it's the sort of thing where the regulators know one thing, the industry knows another thing, and if they share their ideas, I think we get a better product at the end of the day. And probably get to the goal of the project more quickly, I would think, if you've got parties working together and with government and stakeholders, certainly, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, another bullet reads, officially recognize that the amount of decentralization is an important factor in determining whether a cryptocurrency is a security. What does decentralization mean in this context? Well, it's lack of an authority controlling the token. And, you know, basically to the extent that the technology is handling that, we believe that it would be beneficial for the SEC to defer in this factor and recognize that more decentralization results in a token looking less and less like a security. And I think you've seen that in the SEC's recent pronouncements concerning Ethereum. And I know those pronouncements are coming from, you know, the director of Corp Fin, but nonetheless, those pronouncements that were made really highlight this factor that decentralization is something that the SEC's staff certainly believes is a factor that should be looked at in determining whether something is a security. One more question before we wrap this up. Mark, you said that the SEC should follow the lead of the Commodities Futures Trading Commission which created something called Lab CFTC for promoting innovation in fintech. I guess this is an opportunity for regulators to engage with the industry. How would this work, and is that different than the self-regulatory body we talked about a couple minutes ago? Yeah, the, the CFTC got out in front in this way by setting up this Lab CFTC, and you know, without simplifying it too much, it kind of operates like a hotline. You can call up or schedule an appointment and talk with someone from the CFTC, you can tell them sort of what the business is, what the technology is doing, and they don't give you concrete answers that you're absolutely in compliance or that you're definitely violating this law or that law, but they flag for you things that you might want to take a, another look at. But this is just a, a great example of what I was talking about earlier, where the public sector and the private sector are, you know, in a formal way, working together to, to reach a solution. 
I think this kind of collaboration and transparency from the regulators and from industry would do everyone a great service. Absolutely. Hey, this has been terrific. Let's wrap it up with one more question. We're going to go to you both. Mark, first, how optimistic are you that meaningful regulations for cryptocurrency will be implemented sooner rather than later? Mark? Well, I'm hopeful that we'll get guidance soon. I don't expect it uh, on any particular time frame. But what I would hope for is guidelines and principles rather than rigid rules. I think I'm optimistic that our regulators are trying to get a handle on this new technology. And, you know, information trickles out. For example, you know, when Director Hinman spoke earlier in the summer, um, he made some very revealing comments about decentralization that, that Steve was commenting on. Hopefully more like that can come and it can come in a more formal fashion to give the industry better guidelines. And what we're seeing, too, is that there have been other types of cases and controversies. So federal prosecutors have asserted that two cryptocurrencies sold at an ICO or securities, and a ruling just came out in New York Federal District Court on September 11th, concluding that there are allegations that the two cryptocurrencies were securities were adequate. So you'll see, you know, some of the scams that we've talked about will result in litigation, and there'll be more guidance that'll come out through the court process. Terrific. Hey, Mark, Steve, this has been great. There's so much going on in this area with cryptocurrencies. It's a constantly evolving, changing. Just watching the, the regulatory machine kind of move is going to be fascinating. I hope to talk to you both again, maybe around the first of the year. We'll see if there's any progress made. But there's a lot going on in this space, and I really appreciate your time today. Sounds good. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, David. You can read Steve Obie and Mark Rasmussen's Harvard Business Review article, How Regulations Can Help Cryptocurrencies Grow, at hbr.org or on the Jones Day website, jonesday.com. You can also find complete biographies for Stephen Mark at jonesday.com. And congratulations to both of them on the National Law Journal's Trailblazer recognition. That's a great honor. For more information on Jones Day's blockchain and digital currency team, go to jonesday.com and search blockchain, or visit your favorite search engine and key in Jones Day blockchain. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Please rate and review. We'd love to hear what you think. Thanks for listening to Jones Day Talks Technology. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.